Ladies and gentlemen, I'm full of optimism. Einstein's theory of relativity. We're still seeing it quite well through that haze. The fight is growing. E equals MC. That all men are created About the future innovation. And growing strength in the air. Tear this is Finding Your Frequency with your hosts, Jeff Spinard and Ryan Treasure. It's time to speak up, share your voice, and hear from the thought leaders. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another episode of Finding a Frequency. I'm so excited to be here with you all today because it's Finding a Frequency Friday. It's the best Friday, Finding Your Frequency Friday. So thank you guys for tuning in. We're on the uh, Voice America Variety Channel right here on voiceamerica.com, Internet Talk Radio Network. And uh, we have a really cool show for you guys today. Uh, I think we, you know, we really forget about, you know, some some creative ways to provide information and creative ways to uh, engage people in conversations about really important items, but doing it in a different manner where you're able to kind of, you know, add some pizzazz, for lack of a better word, to uh, the way that that works. And I don't know if you guys know this, but back uh, in my early days, just before I got into radio, I was a stagehand, and uh, I absolutely loved that job. Um, I did I did uh, uh, grip and gaff and you know spotlight and you know uh, all the other you know stuff with set changes and stuff like that. And so I know that our guest is going to uh, completely understand all of those things uh, as we start t- talking about um, our wonderful, wonderful guest who is uh, Dr. Candy Campbell. And uh, as a fully trained healthcare professional and former professional of nursing at the University of San Francisco, Dr. Campbell offers numerous outreach services to the community. Blending art and science for positive system change is just one of the interactive seminars and workshops she presents that increase communication and teamwork. Welcome to the show, Dr. Candy Campbell. Oh, thank you so much, Ryan. What fun. Yeah, I really appreciate you jumping on. I, uh, you know, uh, you you have such a diverse background in some of the things that you've been doing as, uh, you know, uh, being a doctor at, at, at San Fr- in San Francisco and, you know, doing stage work and all of your uh, acting stuff that you've done. Um, and then the fact that you use the acting and uh, the the uh, characters that you, you leverage to deliver information to an audience where it's completely interactive um, and, you know, people get to kind of find out, you know, what are some of the things that we can do to better ourselves? our lives, our health, uh, all those different things. And so I, I want to get into that. But, but first, I want to kind of go like, you know, in a time capsule back in time for just a second. And I want you to, to give us kind of the, you know, how you found your frequency in life and how did you end up, you know, going from, you know, one stage of your life into different areas. And basically, how did you find your frequency in life? Uh, And just kind of, you know, give us a a snapshot from, you know, wherever you decide that you want to start. But how did you get where you are? Hmm. Well, I'm old, so this might take a while, but I'll try (laughs) and encapsulate it. You know, my dream as um, a kid was to be a news anchor. 
And then I got into college and sort of fell into radio and TV and loved that. And then again, by accident, I had a roommate who was an actor and they needed somebody to work on a show. And so like you, because I was taking a a speech and theater degree, I hadn't that first year, I hadn't even declared my major, you know, area yet. And they wanted somebody to who knew how to sew to work props for a children's theater. And that was Mm -hmm. Jack and the Beanstalk. So I said we were at Pacific Lutheran University. Shout out. They have a fantastic theater program. And um, the the director, Nordholm, was a famous guy, was there. And I was doing the costumes. And there was one difficult costume. It was Bossy the Cow. And Bossy, <laughs> uh, the front of Bossy, had been cast. A fabulous actor, Fred Reinerson, was cast in that role. And he had, you know, various moves to give and moans and things like that. But my problem was, as a seamstress, that he had not cast the back of the cow. Well, unbeknownst to me, the person, it was tradition in that theater that the person who asked hey, who's going to be the back end of whatever animal got to be it? So that was my first time acting in children's theater. It was such fun. And then I got cast in some other things. And I really got the bug turned out. I mean, I, I knew I could do those things. But honestly, I did not admire actors at the time at all. I just thought they were a bunch of hams, a bunch of egoists. I didn't. It. I didn't understand the psychology behind acting and that you could actually make a difference by the sorts of words that you spoke. I'd been an, a writer myself, but then I got into acting in different productions that I liked, some that I didn't, and decided, okay, I'm not going to do that. But then, I mean, you asked about this path, and I'll tell you, it had a disastrous end. I didn't think I would ever act again after I I got a big scholarship and then I was on my way to New York and I was doing all kinds of great things uh, when I finished my, my first degree in acting. But that summer, I was cast as the lead in a show and I had, well, they now call it a Me Too moment, I think, but they used to just call it a, a kind of a casting couch experience where the director, who I knew, and I didn't know what was going on in his life at the time, but I knew him, thought he was a great guy and everything. He really put the moves on me one day at rehearsal and surprised oh. the heck out of me. Yeah. And and you know something? I was shocked. Oh, and I he bet. Was an he was an old guy. I was 21 or 2 and he was 40. <laughs> so <laughs> I basically quit the show. I just turned I, I just turned 40 like a couple of weeks ago too. I couldn't even in my mind fathom like you know uh hooting and hollering after a 20-year-old. Oh my goodness. Oh, I know. It's it's pretty it was, you know, he's gone through some midlife crisis, I'm sure. But <laughs> I, I, I said, well, that's it. You know, he goes, well, what do you, that's the way the, the game is played in this, you know, industry. And I'm like, well, not for me. No not way. Not for me. So I quit it all. And that was it. So I didn't know what to do. And as fate would have it, uh, I was, 
I just sat around sort of moping and my mother said, well, you know, your uncle Gus took you up in his airplane that time and he said you could, you know, you withstood the flying and you'd be a great stewardess someday. And look, Pan Am's coming to town. Why don't you interview? I'm like, I was that desperate because at the time in the 70s, I thought, ah, they're just glorified waitresses. And what would I want to do that for? Well, I went to the interview and they hired me only, I think, because I'm not I'm not tall and I've never been a beauty, but um, I could speak a couple of other languages and they they needed that, you know, oh, and I was an yeah. international. Yeah. Yeah. So I had a French speaking grandma and a German speaking grandma and I had taken both languages in school so I could make my way in those languages. And that's what they wanted. And that opened up a whole new world of travel, which I'm ex- extremely grateful to have had that opportunity. But interestingly enough, this is where I call it the crazy quilt of my life. It started weaving together <laughs> because the only way I could sort of justify, you know, hunting for, for instance, a teenager's retainer in piles of garbage after on a 747 after two meal services <laughs> i'm going through all the trays looking for this kid's retainer oh. and all of this <laughs> all of this muck and i just thought well i've as it turns out I, I lived in six cities in five years and i love travel and i thought you know something here's an opportunity i think I'm not doing this formally, but informally, I'm going to do whatever I can do to learn dialects. And that has served me well in terms of commercials and voiceover yeah. work, things like that. Plus, it was it was fun. It was yeah, fun. You know, I, I, I've been in radio for, you know, a really long time. And so, uh, you know, I've always had to come up with some kind of little, you know, so I could talk like I was Australian and a good eye might. And uh, I'm sure that you understand some of those dialect pieces. And yeah, it does help in, in the voiceover world and in commercials and acting and, you know, all of that to kind of be able to, you know, twist the character into, you know, that, that uh, you know, super authentic character and trying to suck the audience in, you know. Uh, so I definitely respect the, your skills in that area because uh, trying to get all of that stuff uh, uh, ironed out and, and being really good at it is is. Is a, is a major skill. Well, it's a it's really a gift that you just have to hone. And then, of course, I was so uh, blessed to live in England for a couple of years, which, you know, now that I've... <laughs> this is serving me well because of my third solo show is Florence Nightingale. So, you know, it's <laughs> it all comes around. It's all being woven together. In fact, the reason I'm a nurse was because of something that happened on an airplane. Well, yeah, that's one of the questions I wanted to ask. Where did Dr. Candy Campbell come from? Are you a uh, an MD doctor? Uh, no, <clears throat> excuse me, I'm a nurse doctor. Ah. <laughs> so it's it's an academic credential because I did my doctoral work, you know, mm-hmm. and and in order to to teach at the university level, oh, cool. they require a doctorate. Yeah. 
Oh no, that's awesome. I was just, I, you know, I know some people are MDs and then there's PhDs and different things like that. So I kind of wanted to understand a little bit more uh, about that. And, you know, your, your teaching is, I'm sure amazing, uh, you know, to take a class from you, you know, and then when, when I'm looking at this information of the different things that you do and, and, and especially the Eden and evening with Florence Nightingale, um, uh, theater piece that you're doing. And, um, I just love the idea that, you know, the people in the audience can interact. Right. And <laughs> so tell us, tell us a little bit, uh, you know, about, uh, the 19th century humanitarian, uh, uh, that you're portraying. Oh my goodness. Well, can I first tell you quickly how it happened to be that I got interested in her? Well, absolutely. Yeah, please. <laughs> well, there I was, and I, I must say I've retired from my academic position, but when I was, um, it was 2010, and I was there at faculty at University of San Francisco, as you mentioned, the wonderful librarian who was our, our social sciences librarian, Claire Sharifi, shout out to her. She's so terrific. Holla. She came into a <laughs> Holla. she came into um, a meeting, a faculty meeting, and said, Oh my goodness, do you all know this is 2010? And we're like, Yes. And she said, Well, aside from the celebrations that are going on, that it's the hundredth year anniversary of Florence Nightingale's death and we're like yeah kind of a weird thing to celebrate but okay you know she said do you know that because of some collaborations with a lot of people on the other side of the pond mm -hmm. they now have digitized all of her 200 books and articles and over 10,000 letters and I have them in our library wow that's awesome and I bit. I I had read one of her books, but I just, I had heard you asked about who she was. Well, you know, she's been featured, she consistently is featured as one of history's 100 most influential women, along with like Cleopatra and people like that. Right. Well, I mean, and when you, when you think about you know, the ways that she approached healthcare and, you know, some of the different things, especially so back uh, in, in, in the early 1900s, uh, you know, it's, it's definitely very key to kind of some of the things that we do now. Right. Uh, and has kind of fostered the ability for the, uh, the medical field to, you know, think about things in different ways. Right. Exactly. Now I know there's been some pushback from some people who haven't actually studied her writings or what she did they just said oh she was a white colonialist and so she must be bad and she must have been racist but she was the antithesis of a racist she used her platform as a person from the aristocracy to try and level the field in terms of health in terms of education safe childbirth for women to uh, in women's liberation, she was like the poster child for that, although she would never have, you know, picketed or thrown eggs at anybody or anything like that. She was high class act all around. But because she was so talented, you know, for people who don't know, she spoke six languages so well that one of the languages was Greek. And she helped her friend Benjamin do it. She was his advisor when he was translating Plato from the Greek. Wow. 
She was very well traveled for a woman in that era. In the 1840s, she went to Egypt as a single woman with a couple of guardians, of course, friends, show, you know, people who were with her. But she learned everywhere she went. And she also, this is the other thing, she's known as a statistician in the day when women weren't even allowed in a university hardly ever and they certainly most of them like she was schooled in in art and you know music things like that but she had such a keen mind her father homeschooled her and then bought tutors for her brought them in so that she could learn uh, mathematics you know she said she fell in love with euclid <laughs> And then she was the first woman to be admitted into the Royal Society of Statisticians and so on. Wow. It's amazing. Yeah, it really is amazing, especially, you know, thinking about, you know, the times that it was um, and, you know, a lot of the oppression that women faced, you know, um, back in those times and for her to, you know, be able to kind of escalate herself above, uh, uh, you know, that, that you know, mantra of the, I don't want to say mantra, but you know, that, uh, that era in the way that women were treated and uh, especially when it came to like education and, and things like that. So, you know, thinking that she learns all these languages, she, you know, becomes a statistician and, uh, just, and, and, and all of that is just, I don't know. Those are really amazing accomplishments as, as, if you think about it. Uh, and, and thank you for sharing the story on, on, on that and kind of why you kind of gravitated towards that. And, now, as you're gravitating towards uh, Florence Nightingale and all the awesome stuff that she did, how did you guys come up with the the uh, the idea for the stage component and the theater component, where you were able to mix Florence Nightingale and all the awesome things that she does? You know, your medical background as well as your you know uh, mental background, and wrap that all together and turn it into something theater based. I mean, because that's incredible. Oh, thank you. Well, I'll tell you again, I think that once you have a love for doing something and you hone your skills, it sort of oozes out. If you're an artist, it'll come <laughs> out one way or another. And so this is actually my third solo show. And the and I never, you know, growing up, I didn't think of having a solo show. I greatly esteemed those who I saw pulled it off. But as it turned out, just like, most of the things in my life, it sort of fell into it. So briefly, I'll just say that I co-founded an improv company there in the San Francisco area in 1995. <laughs> and I did that because I was doing stand-up and I needed to do, I needed to loosen up and just have fun. And I was only doing that because I'd had a divorce that was pretty devastating. And I just felt I needed to reinvent myself and get my happy on again. <laughs> so uh, that group lasted about three years. And then, you know, those kinds of amorphous groups come and go. And then there was four of us at the time. And then there was two guys and two gals. And then the two of us gals decided when the guys needed to go their separate ways that we would incorporate. And we pitched and got our first 
gig and it was going to be some stand-up and some sketch comedy and a little improv with the audience for one of my professional associations and so we'd worked on it a couple three months and then came about three months before the event and she called and told me she was getting a divorce and she just she just couldn't do it and i didn't know what to do and she said, well, we'll just have to cancel, but we'd already had a little, you know, 50% of the fee. It wasn't a lot, but I didn't want to give it back. Mm-hmm. So I basically went to my knees and said, oh, Lord, what am I going to do? And within three weeks, I had a complete show written. It was what we call a trunk show. Just, I think I did, I don't remember, seven or eight characters and wrote some funny stuff for them and just had little bits of costume behind me and people loved it anyway. And then the second one, similarly, I didn't mean to do it, but there were some things in the world in healthcare that were really pressing on me. And that's how I came up with the second show, which played in San Francisco for a month or so and got me into, um, well, you know, what do you call it, ASCAP for writing the songs for that. And I was already in, I think, SAG-AFTRA. So these are just things I'm like picking up along the way. And then I was done with it. I, I have been doing so many other things and these are all extra plus my full-time job. And uh, one day i'm at a holiday party with some of my colleagues from the national speakers association and one of my friends and mentors barry wishner who's been a speaker for over 30 years internationally he heard me going on and on and on just the kind of stuff i was just talking to you about Mm -hmm. about florence nightingale and he goes "Wait, wait, wait, wait let me understand something you are obviously thinking this is a very interesting person. Yes, Barry. And you've had two solo shows. Yes. And you're a nurse. Yes. And why isn't this your third show? (laughs) And it was like, oh, I could have had a BA, you know, headbutt. Face Well, (laughs) face split. (laughs) <laughs> I didn't want to do it, honestly. And I'll tell you what, I I, arg- I pushed back that night. I said, oh, Barry, I don't want to do it. so much work. I've just finished my doctorate. I just, I just like, I can't, I can't take it on. I knew how much work it was. He called me the next morning and he said, a little voice told me to tell you that if you don't do this, you are giving up an opportunity. And he says, I think you were born for such a time as this. Well, I knew that reference. That's from the book of Esther in the Old Testament. <laughs> she, she, you know, was in a particular place, just like Florence Nightingale said, I know this is my, my duty to give this information and help people. So that's part of why I'm doing it. Well, that is awesome because I think right now, especially with, uh, you know, the way that the world has been and uh, dealing with the COVID-19 and lockdowns and all that kind of stuff. And, you know, did that did that hinder you guys for your theater for a while where you weren't able to, <laughs> to have audiences and all that kind of stuff? Right. Are you are, oh my right, God. Are, you, are you still in San Francisco? 
Oh, no. Um, just before COVID, I relinquished my post there because my daughter had had her second child. She's out of my three kids. She's the only one producing children. <laughs> and uh, growing up, they didn't have their grandparents had, you know, were not around. And so I always promised them, you guys don't have any grandparents. But if you have children, I'm going to be there for you. Well, she held me to my promise. So I moved cross country and happily now get to see my grandbabies quite often very often so <laughs> that was that but i'm sorry now i forgot the question you asked me yeah well um i was just you know are are, are you still you're still doing evening with Florence florence nightingale <laughs> oh, it's something oh, oh. that's an ongoing thing like it's it, now it's back after covid and and uh oh. you're, you're able to you know get back on stage now how uh you know how, how how's that been Yes, and let me just preface <laughs> yes, this and. by saying, yeah, yes, and in another reason I decided it was a good time to move is because now I have a theatrical agent and he, we had booked me in 12 different places Nice before, because 2020 is supposed to be the year of the nurse. So it was a big year for Florence and then uh, 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 comes COVID. So all but two of my contracts, and these are for nursing conferences, except for one, I think. And all of those contracts, they went, you know, everybody just said, okay, <laughs> you know, two went virtual. So I'm oh. speaking to you now yeah. from my video production studio, Miss Nightingale went underground into my basement. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, we, we started performing virtually and then Happily, I will say that next month in November, uh, Miss Nightingale and I will be performing for several thousand nurses at one of the biggest nursing conferences around. It's the American Nurses Association Conference, Magnet Pathway Conference in Atlanta in November 12th will be there. So uh, that's excited. fantastic. I want to pause for just a second and reach out to all the digital leaders out there. How would it feel to not only know what your customer is experiencing, but how many others are experiencing this also? I think it's about time that we put our customers at the center of our decisions and get ahead with real time insights way before a code freeze. It may be beach weather outside, but for retailers, the holiday season has already started. 2021 holiday e-commerce sales are expected to exceed the 2020 benchmarks. Is your company prepared to capture every customer's revenue opportunity? With Quantum Metric, you can be. Their unique approach to the digital customer experience helps today's top retailers and e-commerce brands quickly identify and prioritize the big and small revenue opportunities that keep customers engaged and coming back. Stay off the naughty list with Santa this holiday season and reduce that customer friction, increasing conversions. You all know we gotta have those conversions. And at the same time, personalizing the shopping experience. You guys want a sneak peek? Visit us at quantummetrics.com slash pod offer and see if you can qualify to receive our 12 days of insights offer with code frequency. This gives you a 12 day access to the cloud platform coupled with a bespoke insight report that will help you identify where customers are struggling or engaging in your digital product. Some restrictions apply. I want to make sure you guys check it out. 12 days of insights. Go get a sneak peek. Visit quantummetrics.com slash pod offer. 
So tell us a little bit about the show because I think that's one of the things that really kind of drew me in, right? About uh, the the type of show that you that you have with Florence Nightingale, and you know, um, your your press material says a voice from the past with a contemporary message, right? And so um, I I like this whole idea of you kind of acting out Florence Nightingale, but still providing information that is, uh, you know, timely and to the particular time that we're in now and you know uh you know tackling different subjects uh you know that we wrestle with today uh, you know diversity acceptance overcoming fear and social conditioning and you know how to make a difference in the world because i think that's you know really uh especially over the last couple of years when you talk about making a difference in the world it's like you know what what am I doing and how am I making a difference in the world? And I think that that's something that um, is being shifted. I think, you know, globally, there's a lot of people kind of, you know, I think stepping back and trying to decide like, you know, what am I doing? How am I doing it? Why am I doing it? And, and what's the purpose of me to make a difference in the world? And, uh, you know, it's definitely caused, I think, an awakening. I've done a few other interviews where, you know, you really just start to see uh, a difference in in the way that, uh, you know, people are thinking, you know, now as being locked up and being virtual um, and all the different changes and ideas that people have had over that last amount of time. And then, you know, everybody's scared, right? Everybody's scared about, you know, what's what's going on and, and all that kind of stuff. And I think the message that you have, um, especially for the nursing community, right, as they deal with, you know, an onslaught of, uh, you know, COVID cases and all of that that they're dealing with. And, and uh, I think, you know, Miss Nightingale probably brings them a little bit of uh, a breath of fresh air, right? Well, again, yes, and because, you know, <laughs> pandemics are not new. Miss Nightingale, as she would tell you, worked through two arms or fingers or whatever appendage you want to give mm-hmm. incidences of a pandemic. Now, they didn't know for a while that it was the cholera pandemic. At the time, they thought it was an epidemic. But when you look back in history and you can see that in 1845, it started in India around the Ganges because people were, you know, using that for everything, Mm -hmm. including things you shouldn't use it for. And then travel, as you know, was completely different in those days. So it took a few years to get as far as the UK. And when she first encountered it in London, uh, she was the superintendent of a home for gentlewomen in unforeseen circumstances. So what they used to call it, laying in hospital, i.e. unwed mothers mostly. But they had a cholera epidemic in 1852 in London. And so, with the city fathers she transitioned the hospital one of the wings well it wasn't a big place but you know she transitioned it so that they could take care of cholera patients and in the day they hadn't discovered Lister hadn't discovered uh, bacteria or antibiotics hadn't come to the fore yet nothing like that they had a miasma theory which is interesting because think of it if you don't have a microscope and you look at 
clean place that doesn't have any problems, and then you look at a filthy hovel and see that the people are always sick, you could conclude that probably cleanliness is better than dirt. And so that was sort of the miasma theory. They thought, you know, the the bugs lived in the dirt and you could breathe it in. It's not so far from what we know about respiratory uh, enablement in terms of, you know, disease and virus. But what she did then, she was asked after that to go to the Crimean conflict. Some call it a war. I don't think it was ever declared a war. But anyway, she went over to Turkey, where the biggest uh, English hospital was, not far from the French hospital and so forth. Mm -hmm. And she entirely revamped the hospital system. So she she has a great love force for the military and what they do. There's a piece in the show that is uh, tip of the hats to all of the first line defenders and, and military people. And she takes you back into history about what it was like when she arrived in that barracks hospital. It was a barracks that had been converted to yeah. a hospital yep. in Scutari. And uh, so I think nurses identify with the um, the horrible conditions. It was even worse than what we have today. We complain of not enough PPE. Well, of course, that hadn't been invented there. But she was she was trying to get the doctors just to please wash your hands between amputations, you know, <laughs> cleaning up the water supply and so forth and so on. Anyway. It's very, and since she is the person who amassed all the data when she came back, she was a great uh, keeper of information. She, she identified and shall I say, visualized what healthcare could be, not only for the military, but all of society. And because the sun never set on Britain, at the time, mm -hmm. she became an advisor to five, four or five different continents in terms of health. Wow, wow, that's 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 a lot of uh, accomplishments when you look at kind of revamping the way healthcare system. I can't believe nobody would wash their hands after an amputation. That's insane. Go from bloody amputation to bloody amputation. Uh, yeah, that's probably not very good for uh, recovery rates, right? <laughs> no, as a matter of yeah. fact, that was the problem. More people dying from disease than wounds they had received in war. But they pushed back at her because, you know, you've heard of Turkish towels. You know, they're, they're famous for absorbent towel material. Yep, and yep, they had yep. the Turkish market there. So they would put a, what we would call a Turkish towel in their belt. And they would wipe their hands between amputations and such. <laughs> they thought that was enough. Wow. Well, you know, let's let's kind of talk about a little bit of the things too uh, that you have as far as the contemporary message to people that are out there um, when you're when you're giving uh, uh, your your performances. Um, Let's talk a little bit about that because I know that, you know, one of the things that uh, you talk about is how people can make a difference in this crazy mixed up world. Uh, what are some of the messaging and 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 
you know, delivery components that you feel uh, in your message that are of the utmost importance as we sit right now today in October of 2021? Well, Nightingale spoke and wrote a lot about the human condition and the fact that all systems are imperfect and they will never be perfect. And she didn't call them complex adaptive systems, but she outlined that. And she knew that sanitation, education, and healthcare were all inexorably linked, that you can't have sanitation and good health without education. And so she was always pushing these things. Yeah. Now we call it evidence-based healthcare where we look at the science, we look at what's gone before, we make a plan, it's, you know, testing. <laughs> <laughs> right. we, we come up with our best example and then we tweak as we need. Now, I think that because she was the founder of the profession of nursing, which we call that uh, professional caring. Now, you know, Anybody who nurtures and takes care of a sick person, that's caring and that's nurturing. But what she was after was the training. Now, she didn't get a whole lot of training, three months in Germany at the mm -hmm. Deaconess Hospital, but it was enough to put her to the point that coupled with what she knew about statistics and data analysis, it gave her the vision that mm -hmm there could be a higher level of nurse that would serve the community. You know, she outlined home visits as, and, and she often said, you know, the hospital is not for everyone. Only the sickest should be there and as, as short a time as possible. It's taken us a while to get back to that. She thought people would be better dying at home, recovering at home, you know, having clean air and water and nutritious food, all of these seem so basic. And then of course she spoke to nurses to try and also continue the education, speak up, use their gifts and um, be, a, be a force for good. Oh, I love what you said. Be a force for good. And, you know, the medical field is kind of weird, too, right? The, especially when you look at it now with all the technology that's involved and everything that's so sophisticated. I had done an interview with a guy um, uh, who worked in the biotech uh, uh, sector, right? And he was like, imagine working in biotech where every day you fail. You fail every day. You know, because you're looking through the, your microscope, you're trying to find a cure for something, you know, whatever it is that you're working on um, and you fail and you fail and you fail and you fail and you fail. And I was like, man, that would be a, that's a hard job, right? Because you, you, you know, you think that you're making some progress for, uh, you know, uh, some ailment that's out there and you're really trying to help people to figure that out. And then you and so that's that that was something that like I didn't even I didn't even fathom really for healthcare was, you know, how how often that happens as biotech. Um, and then 
you know, then you think about, you know, the, the vaccine that has come out for, for COVID-19 and it's like, wow, technology really has come to such a, such a far, uh, you know, leaping bounds that, you know, uh, the smartest medical minds in the world were able to come up with the vaccine and, you know, such a short amount of time where um, I was looking at a chart the other day, right? And it was talking about like different vaccines that had been created over the course of time and how long it took those vaccines from the time they, you know, discovered them from the, you know, I guess the biotech, you know, kind of area before they went to testing and, you know, and then eventually to the public. And it was just amazing to see where it was like 30 years, 20 years, eight years, six years, right? And then, uh, you know, you get down to the latest that that we have and, you know, it was a a 24-month you know, kind of thing basically for, for the vaccine or maybe even less. Uh, but technology's really changed the way that people look at, um, at, at healthcare in general. Uh, and I love the idea of this, you know, uh, Comparison when you talk about Florence Nightingale and her uh, capacity to understand how people would want to be at home uh, and not necessarily die at the hospital and keeping the hospitals free for, you know, the most sick people. Um, And I think what's really cool is leveraging technology has now given us the ability to, you know, all talk to our doctors on a Zoom call, you know, and, and I don't have to go see the doctor. I'm comfortable. I'm either here at work at my office or, you know, I'm at home and, and, you know, things are comfortable and I don't have I don't have to leave my house to go get any prescriptions that the doctor may need to give me they get delivered to my house Um, and then you know of course I have this really cool little watch that I bought you know early and it it measures my O2 in my blood it measures my uh, my heart rate on a continual basis and it keeps a data log of that so then when my nurse is like so or my when my doctor's like so how you been doing and how you been sleeping and I bring up my app and I'm like, Oh, I'm averaging 6.8 hours a night. Um, my average uh, heart rate is 83 beats per minute um, and I can go hold on and push a button sit there for like 10 seconds and then I can say and my current O2 is this uh, and it's just amazing how those things have changed you know what are your thoughts on you know what do you what do you think Florence Nightingale um, would be thinking if she had access to the technology that we have, you know what I mean? Like, oh. have, you know, think about mm. that. <laughs> oh yeah. I know she'd be a fan. I know she'd be a fan. As a matter of fact, that's one of the questions uh, that is often comes up in the show when I do the interactive part. And I often tell people that she would likely learn coding first thing. <laughs> right. <laughs> Especially she'd with being be- a statistician. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. She would be on the board of the World Health Organization. She would be keeping their nose to the grindstone. <laughs> and, you know, she was she was never politically correct. She only had, she said, a mission from God to do the right thing and tell the truth at all times. So none of this politicizing the vaccine or anything like that. If she was in the World Health Organization, Mm -hmm. you better believe she would just stick to the science and heads would roll (laughs) if they started getting out of mission. 
You know, that's that's that that's probably really true. And you know, it would have been, and maybe it wouldn't be nice if she was here right now, right? And she could keep everybody's <laughs> nose to the grindstone because, you know, just from a personal standpoint on my side, I'm just I'm sick and tired of watching television commercials and and listening to the news and you know listening to radio. And, you know, I'm being in being in radio, and then of course being in radio, I have to listen to other talk radio stuff and other podcasts so that way you know I'm kind of doing research and development and you know seeing what's popular and what people are talking about and all that so I can help coach our hosts here at the network and all that kind of stuff and it's like you know over time you get really overloaded with the nonsense and 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 saying like just give me the data you know just just give me the you know put the blinders on and you know just give give me the data i don't need all this fluff that's the one thing that's bothered me the most about the pandemic is just all the fluff <laughs> yeah she she used to say too much politics and politicking <laughs> yeah that definitely gets to 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 uh, uh, a, a space where you're like ah I'm really done dealing with that. Uh, so tell us what you got coming up next. And um, I know that you said you had some uh, in-person things that were going to be happening soon. And then um, are you still doing virtual stuff? Oh, yes. As a matter of fact, during the COVID, one of my friends and colleagues, a nurse colleague and friends also from National Speakers Association, Sharon Weinstein and myself, we're bemoaning the fate that all of our contracts were canceled or very few went virtual and we basically had nothing to do. And yet we thought, you know, something It's time for us to give back. What possibly could we do? Cause we've both retired from bedside and, and, you know, we'd been in academic and administrative posts for a long time, but those people, you know, they're everybody on the front line is busy. What, do they need and what don't they have? Well, that was pretty easy to decipher right, right away. We recognize two big problems. The first one is there's no succession planning or very little time. It, it's been a problem forever in nursing because we're always needing more nurses now even more than ever. So succession planning for leadership, it's usually the Peter principle in healthcare. If you seem like you're a, a person who can take more responsibility, suddenly it's loaded on top of you. And with perhaps little or no training in that area, it's, you know, learn as you go. So that's a problem because we thought we're both going to need nurses someday soon. We're both older and we want to provide some leadership training for leaders who are in the field or people who are on the ladder or people who are interested. And so we thought, well, what, how can we do that? Well, we wanted to make it free so that it would be accessible to everyone. So we got some sponsors and happily now, this month we're in our second Global Healthcare Leadership Summit. This year Great. it's every Thursday. So it's a half a day on Thursdays from noon Eastern till 3.30 Eastern. Each of those days we've amassed some fantastic, well, the total 20 healthcare thought leaders. Each of those days we have a keynote, 
and two panels that have two people each. So five speakers every day. We give away prizes. Oh, people love prizes. <laughs> people love prizes. And our sponsors and our speakers are so generous. Plus, of course, Sharon and I have both written several books, so we're, we're giving things away. And here's another thing that you rarely, you rarely get to do. At the end of every panel and every speaker who comes on, we've got, we open up and we have 10 minutes of interaction with the attendees. And at the end of the day, our speakers and sponsors get into breakout rooms for 45 minutes. And now Zoom has that thing where you can, you know, enable the attendees to go where they want. So people pop in and out. It's absolutely fabulous. And it's the kind of education that you can't get anywhere else. Wow, that's amazing. And uh, how, how long have you been doing that event? This is our second year. Second year, awesome. That's great. So uh, what about live appearances of Florence Nightingale um, on stage or, or uh, in person? What do you have coming up for that? Well, right now- Now that you got your booster, you told me you got your booster. I got my booster shot today. Yeah, yeah we're, like I said, I'm going to Atlanta in November, and yep. then my my manager and I are booking the tour places. So, I would say for anyone either in a healthcare organization or if you have a small theater or whatnot, we are working on the Kennedy Center. I was supposed to be there before COVID, but you know how that goes; they're backlogged for a year i guess right now so we'll see how that goes but um, now that miss nightingale and i are fully vaccinated we're eager to get back on the road <laughs> and visit some of the places that invited us before we were scheduled for three countries so we'll see how i don't think we're going to any other countries yet but within the united states if people are interested they can contact me or my manager and where do they get a hold of you at? What's the uh, website or uh, contact information if anybody wants to uh, meet and see Miss uh, Nightingale and uh, get her words of wisdom uh, on on several different things in this crazy mixed up world? Okay, it's uh, Florence Nightingale Live L I V E dot com, and there's lots of videos and such to watch there as, as well as a contact form and if you want to email me directly it's candy at candycampbell.com and i managed through performance management international that's p m as in mama i arts a-r-t-s dot com and awesome so either way we'll we'll get back to you well, I really appreciate you sharing your story with us today on Finding Your Frequency. It's uh, a, a very dynamic story, uh, even though you had to deal with the the you know the sleazy part of the theater system when you were up and coming, and you know, uh, and and I always believe that a lot of those things make people stronger, and you know, make them more wise as they move through their lives, and you know, being able to uh, you know get on the on the plane with the Pan Am, and you know, use your skills with different languages and all of that. It's all kind of a catalyst, right, for um, you know this Nightingale. Performance that you're doing because you're able to even probably bring these different languages into uh, into the play and into the fray and really make 
the performance is really, really fun. Uh, I'm going to have to figure out one way I can get over to come see one of those because it's really sounds, it sounds very interesting. Even though I'm not a healthcare professional, I still think it would be really cool to kind of uh, just see that in person and how you interact and, and use that uh, character. So, uh, Congratulations and kudos to you on getting back uh, on the saddle with, uh, you know, COVID and being able to do your uh, event that's coming up and getting out to Atlanta. That's awesome. And thank you again for being on the show. Oh, well, thank you. The (laughs) pleasure is all mine. Wonderful. Well, ladies and gentlemen, we want to thank uh, Dr. Candy Campbell for being on the show today and appreciate uh, all you listeners tuning into the program. Uh, if you're listening to the program on one of your favorite podcast destinations, please make sure to give us a nice five star rating because five stars are better than four. And I feel like we're all five star human beings. So uh, let's get the five stars on there. And of course, you can always contact the show info at voiceamerica.com. Find out uh Uh, Any topics that you might want to send our direction or any guests you want to send our direction, please do so. We're always uh, open to look into those opportunities. Uh, And then we appreciate all you listeners for listening since 2016. It's been uh, quite the ride with Fighting Your Frequency, and we wouldn't have uh, been able to do it without the listeners out there supporting the radio program, supporting the podcast. And then, of course, the wonderful guests like Dr. Candy Campbell that we have on the program. Uh, I want to thank everybody who's been on and uh, remind you guys you're listening to voiceamerica.com we are the leader in live internet talk radio and we're right here on the variety channel and today is finding your frequency friday so i want you guys to take a moment just to think about finding your frequency and making sure that you're following through with the things that you want to do for yourself to make yourself the best person that you can be and don't forget it's always nice to give people a helping hand give somebody a little bit of a smile hold a door open for somebody without needing them to say thank you right and uh employ everybody to go out there and find their frequency thank you so much for tuning in i'm your host ryan treasure and we'll be back next week with another fantastic guest right here on voiceamerica.com with finding a frequency